This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. In this episode, we'll talk to Danny Manning, perhaps the greatest Jayhawk to ever don the crimson and blue. You could argue Wilt Chamberlain uh, pretty justifiably. In terms of accomplishments at Kansas, though, nobody tops Danny Manning, the all-time leading scorer, the all-time leading rebounder, the MOP in 1988, a national champion. Now he has seen a national championship for Kansas as a fan. He won one as a player. He was on the 08 coaching staff, so I'm really interested to hear his perspective. I really think you're going to enjoy hearing from Danny. I want to talk today a little bit about roster construction, this Kansas team, how it compares to past Kansas teams, and what lessons can be learned about it when trying to analyze what a team needs in the offseason, because that's what we're about to do now as this team Basks in the glory for a while, for a long while, of this 2022 National Championship and moves forward and gets ready for next season. We talked to Jay Billis last week, and it wasn't really a part of the conversation. I think it came up at some point about experience versus talent. Would you rather have a team full of grizzled veterans? Would you rather have the team full of, you know, one and duns, McDonald's All American, surefire lottery picks? And the example he was using, or I think the team that we were talking about when it came up was Duke, because Duke has, I don't know, four first-round picks on its roster this year. Kansas has one, one bona fide. Now, maybe Christian Brown will end up slipping into, or sliding into the first round. Uh, Jalen Wilson, I don't know what he's going to do. He's the one wild card this offseason if you're trying to capitalize on your in uh, your name recognition, now would be the time. But I just, I don't see him being a first-round pick. In fact, I'm not sure if he sticks on an NBA roster. But at least right now, right? That's not what we're really here to talk about. I was going back and looking at not just the profiles of all of the different national champions over the last decade or so, the last 12 years, actually. We'll go back to the 2008 Kansas National Championship team. But also looking at similar profiles for Kansas over the years. And what I specifically wanted to look at are two things. Experience, how long have you been in college, versus minutes continuity. And if that's not a a, a phrase you're familiar with, let me explain it to you because Ken Pomeroy is the one who created this statistic, and I think it's very interesting in the context of this Kansas team. What minutes continuity effectively is the difference between that and experience is roster carryover. How many of the guys who were playing roles on your team last year are playing roles on the team this year? You can have experience without having minutes continuity. And the easiest way to do that is via transfers. 
if you go out and get a bunch of guys from other programs, a bunch of grad transfers or transfers who are in their third or fourth year in college, on paper, you're an experienced team because you have a bunch of juniors and seniors. You don't have the continuity, though, because those guys weren't playing for you. They weren't playing together last year. They weren't playing for your team. They weren't playing in your system for your coaching staff, running your offense, trying to execute your defense. So just for example's sake, right, let's look at this Kansas team from 2022. They, The average experience, the average college experience on this Kansas roster was 2.1 years. So the average player on this team is a sophomore. That ranks 128th in the country. It's a bit above average because most teams are pretty young. But in terms of minutes continuity, they brought back the minutes at the end of this season, 70.4%. So 70% of the minutes that were played by this Kansas team were played by guys who were playing those minutes a season ago. And that ranked 45th in the country. The average, the the nationwide average from year to year is about 50%. So that's the average roster turnover for a college basketball team. And it fluctuates. It's different for high major teams versus mid-major teams. But 70% is an incredibly high number, which is surprising considering what we thought this offseason was going to look like for Kansas. We've referenced it a million times, but we're going to reference it once more. What Bill Self said last year Uh, in the immediate aftermath of KU's loss versus USC. And he didn't mince words. He said, quote, guys, for us to be a team that really has a chance to be a national contender, we need to get a little bit more athletic. We need to get a little longer and bigger and those sorts of things. So Kansas goes out in the offseason. They lose Bryce Thompson, who ends up at Oklahoma State. They lose Tyon Grant Foster, who ends up at DePaul. They lose Tristan and Aruna, who ends up at Iowa State. And I say lose pretty loosely there because I don't know how many of those guys, and it's different for specific examples, how many of those guys decided to transfer versus how many of those guys were kind of told, hey, if you come back next year, I'm not sure how much you're going to play. They go out and bring in Remy Martin, the Pac-12 player of the year from Arizona State. They bring Joe Yesifu, who was outstanding at the end of last season for Drake. And you sort of saw, I mean, Jalen Coleman lands as three-point marksman from Iowa State. You added some freshmen as well. Bobby Pettiford from North Carolina, who was sort of a late riser. And you thought, okay, there you go. You have taken a bunch of rotational pieces and replaced them with guys that would look to be better fits on this Kansas team. But we get to the end of the season. How many of those guys were playing significant roles for this Kansas team at the end of the year? And the answer is one, and it's Remy Martin. the, the, The ongoing debate between would you rather have the talented team, the young team full of freshmen, five star kids, future pros versus experience. It's a little bit tiresome because it's not the debate or the conversation that we should really be having because that is the conversation between would you rather have experience or would you rather have talent? I, I, know, I know what coaches would say, but what you would really rather have beyond either of those things is continuity. You would rather have guys who have been around because the first thing that you can figure out about guys who have been around, and Kim Pomeroy said this when he created this statistic, was that Continuity oftentimes just means guys are good fits. If they were playing for you last year and they're playing for you again next year and you're a competitive program, that means that they are good fits for your program. They're good fits for your system. And that's a good thing when guys who fit into your system decide to stick around and continue to play in your system and continue to thrive in your system and learn more about it and become more comfortable in their roles. And if you look at Bill Self's best teams at Kansas, best teams at Kansas, 
they've all had great continuity. If I'm just looking at the 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 four teams, let's look at the four teams that had the most continuity, the teams that had the most carryover from the season before. Number one, no surprise, 2008. They brought back 82% of their minutes from the season before. That happens to be, I think, by pretty much anybody's estimation, the best Kansas team Bill Self's ever had. It was effectively the exact same rotation minus Julian Wright from the 2017. Number two on that list, 2010. We all know how that season ended with a loss to Northern Iowa, but KU was the number one overall seed in the country at that point in the year. They were 33-2. and two. And you look at the roster, Sharon Collins, Cole Aldridge, the Morris Twins, Tyshawn Taylor, Thomas Robinson was a rotational piece. Elijah Johnson was a ro- rotational piece. Yet Brady Morningstar and Tyrell Reed coming off the bench. Effectively the exact same team from the year before. The only addition, really, was Xavier Henry. Let's keep going down the list. 2016, that team brought back 77% of the minutes from the season before. 2016, also the number one overall seed entering the tournament. And before they lost to that Villanova team that went on to win it all, 33-4. and four. That was the team with Perry Ellis, Frank Mason, Wayne Selden, Devontae Graham, Landon Lucas. 2022 is fourth on that list. They brought back 70% of their minutes from the season before. So think about that. The four teams that have had the most roster carryover, the most roster continuity under Bill Self, ended the season in Ken Palm's final rankings ranked respectively first, second, third, and third nationally. You're sensing a trend here. And, it, and it's telling you what your eyes were probably already indicating, which are that Bill Self has always had more success with experienced teams. But now we're changing the definition because is it experience? Is it necessarily that these guys are all a bunch of juniors and seniors? Not really. Because Jalen Wilson, sophomore, Christian Brown, junior. Yes, you've got uh, program guys like Ochai and uh, David McCormick. But Dewan Harris has only been in the rotation for one season. Jalen Wilson has only been in the rotation for one season before this year. But they were all playing significant roles on last year's team. And they just came back and were better players this year. You know what's funny about those Kansas teams and sort of identifying Kansas versus everybody else is if I'm just looking at the last 14 national champions, so going back to that 2008 Kansas national championship team, and I'm looking at the the continuity, the carryover from one year to the next for every national champion over the last 14 seasons, where do you think those two Kansas national championship teams rank amongst Everybody else, Baylor, Virginia, the two Villanova teams, the two North Carolina teams, the two Duke teams, the Kentucky team in 2012. The team that had the most roster continuity of the last 14 national champions, the 2008 Kansas team. And the team that had the second most roster continuity over the last 14 national champions, the 2022 Kansas team. It's not for everybody. And there's more than one way to skin a cat. But if you're Bill Self and you're at Kansas, We know how you have success. And that's not to say you don't go out and try to bring in the best players and try to bring in the best recruiting classes because that's exactly what KU's doing next year. And Kansas fans are excited for the first time in about four years to have one of those elite recruiting classes again. Right now, according to 24-7 Sports, Kansas's class for 2022 ranks fourth. You've got three McDonald's All-Americans and Grady Dick, MJ Rice, and Ernest Uda. 
And none of those guys are surefire, one-and-done prospects. But Grady Dick has been a late riser, national player of the year. And in a few people that I've talked to, it wouldn't be surprising whatsoever if he does end up in the draft next year. But it would all be contingent upon having a great season. And that's fantastic. It's good for the program to bring in great players. You don't need to have experience to have success. But there is more than a mountain of data to suggest at Kansas under Bill Self, it sure as hell helps when you can keep guys around for a year or two, get them ingratiated in the system. And it's something to consider as you move forward in the summer, trying to project how next year's team is going to be. How is this guy going to fit in under Bill Self at Kansas with this coaching staff in this system? It's impossible to project, but it's a lot easier when you've seen that guy in a Kansas uniform before. That's what this Kansas team had. They cut down the nets. I don't think it's a coincidence. Danny Manning, the all-time leading scorer, the all-time leading rebounder in Kansas history. He was the MOP of the 1988 National Championship and uh, was on hand down in New Orleans for KU's win over North Carolina on Monday night. So let me just start right there. You won a national championship as a player. You were on the staff in 2008 as a coach. And then you get to just sort of take a, a, a back seat and watch one as a fan. What was that experience like for you on Monday? Uh, the fan experience was different um, from the standpoint of, you know, just going to the games and being in the crowd and, and walking the streets and seeing all the energy surrounding the Final Four was a very unique but fun experience. And so I had a lot of fun, you know, I went down there for a couple of buddies and went to dinners and hung out, went to some games, you know, brushed, bumped into a bunch of old friends that I hadn't seen in a while. And of course, all the, the, the coaching fraternity. So it was it was a fun experience. And I really enjoyed it from the fan perspective of going down there and um, being a part of Jayhawk Nation. Are you like the rest of us when you're watching as a fan? Is there is there a nervous energy about you, or is there a calmness just because you've had the experience of, of coaching and playing at that level? No, there was more of a nervous energy this year um, watching the games. I think a lot of it had to do with uh, the people I was surrounded with, you know, because they were true fans and yeah. wanted, you know, the Jayhawks to prevail and have so many things go well. So you just hear different comments from different people from different sides all over coming in. So that was, that was different experience, but uh, I enjoyed it. It was, it was a lot of fun. And, and then for us to, um, you know, we talked about before we came on the amount of former players that were there and it was a great reunion for all of us to catch up. And a lot of us didn't play together, but it's always love when you see a former Jayhawk. Yeah, so I want to talk about that because I've talked to a lot of guys, in, even in recent weeks, who said that guys like Scott Pollard, who played on some really good teams, but never ultimately cut down nets. And a lot of those guys say that they feel an attachment even years, if not decades later, to teams who do win the title because they feel like that team won it for them. So when when you see guys like Nick Collison and Drew Gooden, who again played on Final Four teams, like is do you see that in them? Do you see that that attachment for them even decades after their their Kansas career is over, where they feel that attachment to the team that's out there playing and winning? It's everyone that played at Kansas. That's how we feel. the The connection, the culture is that strong. And um, every time, anytime a team wins a championship. Um, 
representing the Jayhawks, everyone that played, everyone that coached, everyone that was a part of the program feels an immense sense of pride and, and, and loyalty and, and happiness. How cool is that? I mean, how cool is that for guys that you didn't play with who may be a decade younger than you or two decades younger than you, guys that you coached like in 2008, and you guys are all sort of in the same boat there, having the same emotions during that game. For somebody on the outside who has no idea what that brotherhood's like, how would you explain it? There's it's just a lot of love, a lot of support. Um, you know, and it's not something where you're in contact with each other every day, but there's a connection that will always be there. You know, it can be, you know, some of my best friends I don't speak to every day, but when I get around them, when I see them, it's always love. It's always a, a warm embrace. It's always something that just feels really good. And that's how it is whenever you run across a former player. And it doesn't matter what era they played in. It doesn't matter who their coach was. You know, none of that matters. The only thing that matters is we're Jayhawks. And, um, you know, we're, we're here to support our current Jayhawk team. And we all have an immense amount of pride. And we want to see every Jayhawk team do well. And, and we feel good when they do. And, and when they don't feel they don't do as well as we would like, we still feel an immense sense of pride because we know what it takes. And we know what they go through to uh, be a part of that program and wear the uniform. When you're at a Kansas or Kentucky or North Carolina, there's the expectations of competing for a title every year. And Kansas has, I mean, since the tournament expanded to 64 teams and 68, Kansas has three titles in that time span. Uh, Kentucky has three titles in that time span, yet there's always, every year, there's always going to be the expectations. And I would imagine that's, that's a lot of pressure for players of having the expectations of winning the title and the, the difficulties of living up to them. You guys had title aspirations your sophomore year and your junior year, and you were knocking on the door both of those years. How, how would you describe sort of the pressure internally, externally of knowing how hard it is to win a title, but yet that's the goal and that's the expectation when you're playing at a program like Kansas? Well, that's part of the culture at Kansas is you want to be successful. And every year you go into the season and you want to be the last team standing. Um, from a fan perspective, completely unrealistic because it's not going to happen every year. We would like for it to, um, but there's only going to be one team that's fortunate enough to be that, be that group. And, um, you know, you have to have a lot of things go your way. Um, but the culture of the Kansas program is to go out and, and you want to compete for championships. But on the flip side of it, it's not going to happen every year. And, um, you know, the, the diehard die fans, you appreciate their energy. Um, it's very special. But sometimes it is it's out of whack. It is unrealistic to think that every year you're going to compete for a championship. Well, you had one of the most accomplished colleges, college careers of anybody. And at that point in your career, going into your senior season, that was really the last box that you hadn't checked. What changed for you personally? It was your senior year. You knew that was your last year. But what changed for you personally after you did win that title? It, beyond just like the sense of accomplishment, like we finally did it, how did that change your life? Like, How did that change things for you after that? Well, it to be honest with you, you really don't realize it until the next year, five years or 10 years or 15 years down the road. Um, you, you realize how fortunate you were and blessed you were to be a part of a team, to, to cut down the nets, to be a champion, to have that 
um, badge, if you will, that you help enrich the tradition and history of the program with the team that you played on. Um, and it becomes a little bit more special each year. Um, for me, it, it gave me a chance to ultimately have a longer run in terms of playing in front of potential scouts that were looking um, at the 88 draft. So, you know, that was one way that I, I, I feel like I benefited from it with that run that we had. We got an, ex, an, an extended look, if you will, um, as, as players. Um, and then from there, you know, it's kind of hard to, to really put it in perspective because I, I didn't know the magnitude of what a championship meant to the community, to the university, to the city, to the state until 2008. Because in 1988, I left. You know, my, my time was up and I was fortunate enough to move on. And so I, I really didn't understand it, the grasp or the magnitude of it until 2008 after you won the championship and you could see how it affected um, so many different people. Um, but you're still in a fishbowl, if you will, of what the, the communication, the interactions that I'm having with this group because it's with the team. You know, this year it was more so um, Jayhawk Nation, if you will. You know, going up to the game, walking up to the to the dome with the fans, walking into the building with the fans, and and and, and so many different supporters that uh, have been there forever. You know, you see people walking into the games that you were just like, wow, I remember watching. I remember them sitting in their seats in the field house when we played. Or I remember, you know, this group of people because we have dinner at the same place. So, you know, that was really cool to see a lot of different people in that aspect. But, you know, like you said, probably the coolest thing was the former players um, coming back from different eras and, and everyone um, in the stands cheering on, wanting our team to do well, sharing good thoughts in terms of, we got to do this. We got to, we got to rebound better. We got to play better defense. We got to do this. And, um, you know, no conversation ever reverted back to any of the individuals when they were at Kansas and playing, it was all about the current team and supporting them. Okay. So since you got to watch them up close and personal and see them cut down the nets, what stood out to you about that team? What do you think were maybe some of the defining characteristics of this 2022 Kansas team? Great character, determination, um, unselfishness. But I, I think that's a staple of the culture of Kansas basketball. All the coaches that we have, have had um, preached that to a certain extent, and that was on full display um, in this last championship game. You know, to be down the way that we were down at half and for our guys to come out and for great sense of urgency – to establish themselves in the second half with the effort level and the fight that they competed with and got back in the ball game within 10 minutes of, you know, a halftime was a tremendous feat. And, you know, it just speaks well to, to the coach self and his staff and making sure that our guys came out with that type of fire and it definitely worked. And, and then also on our players, you know, those guys came out and they made it happen. Um, they competed at a high level. They defended at a high level, and they made plays when they needed to. And um, that's certainly something that we're all we all witnessed, and, and and very happy to see. 
I was saying this for a couple of weeks throughout the tournament run, and correct me if you disagree, but what stood out to me about this team was, especially in March, the way that they bought in. And I would imagine from a coaching perspective, that's a goal for every team every year is trying to get the guys collectively and individually to buy into whatever it is that you're preaching to them. And you like to think that every team is filled with guys who want to buy in, but you don't always see it. And it seemed like this team during the tournament run bought in in a way that I haven't seen a Kansas team do, at least collectively across the board in a really long time. I'm just curious if if you noticed that, if you saw any of that and and what that's like as a coach to see that happen, you know, at the most critical juncture of the season. Well, I, I disagree with you because I see it every year, you know, because teams aren't successful. You don't win league championships. You don't continuously go to the NCAA tournament and go on runs if you don't have a group of individuals that are bought in. I think it was more so on display this year because of the, 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 in the outcome, we cut down nets. Um, but every year, you know, Coach Self teams always are playing at a high level and everyone understands their role and they buy in. That doesn't always mean that you're going to be the last team standing, but they were this year. And a lot of it, to be honest with you, was unselfishness with, those, with the team because there were quite a few guys on that team that would have commanded more minutes than a lot of other universities and a lot of other places. But the, all these guys made sacrifices – and that makes it worthwhile. They all sacrifice a little bit of themselves or a lot of themselves for the betterment of the team. And, and that's what team sports is all about, especially Kansas basketball. You know, we always talk about being unselfish, playing hard and playing together. And this team, um, without question, embodied that from the start of the season until the end. And each season you have your ups and your downs. You know, you have to battle through injuries. You have to battle through certain things. And, um, you know, Remy Martin's a great example of that. He comes in as preseason conference player of the year, hits a rough patch, goes through some injuries, not healthy, comes back. The team is playing fairly well, has to accept a different role, and he accepts it. And, you know, to start the tournament, you know, the first few games, you could say he was the best player out there for the Jayhawks. And, you know, in the championship game, he comes in off the bench and makes some great plays, knocks down some big shots and, and makes some things happen. So, you know, that in, in a nutshell is kind of what we feel Kansas basketball is all about. You got to be prepared for your opportunity. And when your opportunity comes, um, you got to go out there and do the best you can to, to make something happen. And, and he did that without question. Well, you're still known for when you were an assistant coach as sort of the uh, the big man guru at Kansas for all the great bigs that came through and the success that they had at Kansas and went on to have in the NBA. And I know you were a big part of that. Watching David McCormick, his growth, not only over the four years, but specifically the way that he shined in March and especially in New Orleans in those two games against Villanova and North Carolina. What did you think of what you saw from David down there? I thought David played terrific. Um, I thought David, his presence offensively, carving out space, finishing at the rim, very good footwork, very good patience, making his moves. You know, whenever you get to the Final Four and you're able to go, what, 10 or 12 in one game from the field, you're, you're playing at a very high level. And I thought in the championship game, 
I thought he did some really good things as well, scoring the basketball, defensively having a presence. And, and then also, you know, have to throw in Mitch as well because those two guys kind of played in foul trouble a little bit in that championship game, and they gave us really good minutes. But, you know, the play down the stretch for David to score a couple of big-time buckets and, and have a defensive presence at the rim was, was huge for our, for our program. I thought Bill had a really interesting quote after the game, and it was sort of insightful because he admitted what I think a lot of fans and fans are fickle when it comes to individual players playing well or playing great. And a lot of fans were frustrated with Dave or the amount of uh, run that he was given. And Bill Self said it afterwards. He said, you know, for as maligned as he was, I couldn't be happier for a guy that just continued to work his tail off, battling through injuries, battling through adversity. And what was so apparent after that was the trust that Bill Self continued to place in a guy who wasn't always having the success that he wanted to have or that the coaches wanted him to have or that the fans wanted him to have. What can that do for, for a player? Or, or what's that like for a coach or for a player just to to continue to place faith in a guy and place trust in a guy knowing that while it may not be exactly how I wanted to look at the time, I know that down the road this is going to pay dividends when we need it to. Well, at the end of the day, um, that is built over time. That is built because you see the work that's gone into it. And that's what it comes down to as coaches. You know, you, you play players that are productive. You play players that you know have put in the work. And you trust the work that they put in. Now, you're not going to make every shot. It's not going to happen. But, you know, if I have a three-point shooter on my team and I know that I've seen him day in and day out put in the work and I've seen the results in practice, then I'm going to trust that young man to go out there and, and perform in games. Now, like I said, it doesn't mean he's going to make all of his shots or a high percentage of those shots, but I trust the fact that he's put in the work to be ready for that opportunity. And then that's all you can do. You know, going into any game that you play, you can't control whether you make shots or miss shots. You can control a lot of the other intangibles, but that's one thing you can't. So you have to trust the work. Now, you guys in 88 were underdogs in the tournament, in the title game. That This team in 2022 was a one seed. So I'm not trying to say that this is apples to apples here, but this team at, at various points throughout the season, whether it was, you know, a blowout loss at home to Kentucky, a tough loss to a TCU team down in Fort Worth that you felt like you should have won. I never quite felt like they were on that same tier, but I think what we learned over time that was there was no clear separation at the top of college basketball. There's not a, a ton of similarities between the team in 88 and this team, but what you both did was kick things into high gear and play to your potential in March. What, what's that like? Is there, we always like to think it's a Disney movie where there's some sort of rah-rah speech behind closed doors and then everybody rallies around it and you guys end up cutting down nets. But what is that really like in March to sort of kick things into a different gear and have everything click at the right time? Well, that's the goal. You know, at the end of the season, you want to be playing your best ball. But those two teams are completely different. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, this this year's team was a number one seed. They did enough things throughout the course of the season to put themselves in a situation to be a number one seed. Now, throughout the course of the tournament, are we glad that 
people didn't talk about us as much or we were able to fly under the radar? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, they were still a number one seed. They, they earned that right. And, um, you know, our team in, in 88, we weren't a one seed. And, and um, we just a different path for us. But at the end of the day, you want your team to be playing their best ball at the end of the regular season. And then you go into your conference tournament and this year's Kansas team, the conference tournament was basically um, a dress rehearsal, if you will, for the NCAA tournament because you knew that they were going to get a bid regardless of what the outcome was going to be. You know, a lot of times um, that's not always the case for certain teams. So you want to be playing well at the end of the conference season. Then you want to get into that conference tournament and really get it going, if you will. Um, and that happened to our team in 1988. You know, we were able to, to propel some ourselves from, you know, playing fairly well. We didn't win it, but put ourselves in a good enough situation where we felt confident going into the NCAA tournament. Well, maybe one thing that all teams can sort of take parallels from is you can have doubts internally throughout the season as to, okay, we went up against this team. We didn't look like we were on the same level as them. How do you stave off doubts throughout the year when things aren't going according to plan? This is competitive sports. Games aren't won on paper. They're won on the court. And whoever plays the best that particular afternoon or evening or whatever that game is played is going to win. And all other teams, they work out, they lift, they get up extra shots, they do all these other things as well. And so there's a great amount of parity in, in sports across the board. And, you know, it, it's hard. You know, it, it's very hard to, to get to a Final Four. It's very hard to win a national championship. And that's something that you understand after the fact. 1988, I was oblivious to to... to to everything that went into winning the championship. 2008, I had a greater appreciation for it because I, I, I understood so many different things go into winning the championship. And, you know, that's from my perspective now as a coach, you know, you look at, you know, are we healthy? Do we like the matchups? How are we playing? How are we shooting the basketball? Um this team, they're known for doing this. Is that style of play going to give us problems? So, you know, there's so many different things that you look into um, and you take note of when you're a coach. Whereas a player, it's like, man, we're just going to put on our shoes and we're going to hoop. And we're going to be the last team standing. That's how you always feel. But that doesn't always work out in that aspect. So the, the dynamics of being a player, dynamics of being a coach are completely different. Um, and a lot of it is just because of the naivety, you know, you're naive as a, as a young, brash, athletic, collegiate, adolescent teenager. Bill Self called Ochai the most accomplished Kansas player since you, um, which is saying something. Uh, what are your thoughts on his season and his sort of journey as a Jayhawk? Beautiful. It was beautiful. And um, I really say that because after the game, I don't know if you guys got a chance to see it, came over to the stands and, and the embrace that he had with his, his family was moving. Um, the embrace he had with different players on his team, different staff members was, was really special. It was fun to see. Um, you know, it's his journey is what the journeys were when I was in school. 
right? Because, you know, we didn't leave early. You know, we, we, there weren't any one and dones, you know, so when you got to college, you were there for the duration and, you know, his evolution, his growth is in my eyes, normal for a college player. And it's what it should be in my eyes, moving into the professional realm. I think when he moves on to the professional realm, his time, his experience in college is going to serve him very well. And there's still going to be some things when he gets to that professional level that he's not prepared for. But he'll be more prepared for it than anybody that's played one year or two years. I can tell you that much. Well, anybody who watched him this year could see the the growth that he had over the course of the offseason, the work that he put in to improve his game. But I think what was even more impressive was the growth mentally that he took in becoming the alpha and becoming a leader. And I know that's something that you've talked about in the past that had to kind of get drawn out of you because it wasn't your natural personality to be a, a vocal leader. What are the, the challenges in sort of trying to become that leader? Because it's clearly something that, that worked for you, it worked for him, and they both resulted in championships. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with personality, right? I think, um, and then also talent and skill, you know, and, and, and how you lead. You know, we all lead in different ways. And just because you're a quiet person doesn't mean you're not a good leader um, you just have to find your niche and, and how you want to lead. I think, you know, for me on my journey is when I stepped into um, my freshman year and the teams that I played on, I felt like we had some really good leaders and older veterans on the team that were more experienced. And you're also trying to find your way. You know, a lot of times you step out on that court as a freshman, you want to help your team be successful, no question about it. You want to fulfill your obligations or your responsibilities, but you also want to show you belong. And then after you, okay, I, I belong. Uh, I can compete here. I can help us here. Then that evolution starts to change on your journey, right? Um, so, you know, for me, you go from a player who's a freshman who, you know, right, okay, he's a freshman. We'll see what he's all about to a sophomore. Okay, we got a book on him. We know what type of player he is. And then you get to a junior year and a senior year and that book on you continues to expand. And, you know, when you're at the top of the other team's scouting report, you have to find different ways to help your team be successful. And sometimes that's going to be scoring the basketball. Sometimes that's going to be facilitating. Sometimes that's going to be rebounding and playing defense. It just depends on the night. But you have to find different ways to, to impact the ball game every possession. And I think something um, – you know, Abaji's done a tremendous job of is doing that. You know, we, we know he can score the basketball. There's no question about that. But, you know, I think he's a very underrated playmaker. I think he's an underrated defender and rebounder because I think he did all those things at certain points throughout his journey based upon how that particular game was going. Because some nights it's not going to be your night scoring the basketball, but you still got to help your team be successful. And I think that's part of the growth. That's part of the evolution. Um, you know, when I, I look back and I look at all the great players that have played at Kansas, I'd probably say there's probably one player that has played at Kansas that you you couldn't stop, and that was Will. You know, he's going to score the basketball. He was going to do what he was going to do. But any other guy that's come through, you know, you've had your hardships. You've had some some tough moments in terms of, 
having an impact just scoring the basketball, but you can still contribute in other ways. And, and that's what you all, that's what we all try to do to help our teams be successful when you're not scoring the ball. I'll, I'll, I'll leave, I'll leave you, let you go on this because Ochai, first team All-American, Big 12 player of the year, he already knew his name was going in those rafters. And now you hang a banner on top of it, playing all those games in Allen Fieldhouse. And I don't know how much you think about it when you're a player, but you see those names hanging up. You see Chamberlain hanging up there. You see uh, Clyde Lavellet and JoJo White and Darnell Valentine. When you were when you were playing in '88 or '87 or '86, do you ever allow that to to enter your head? Was that ever motivation for you about maybe someday my my jersey and my number is going to be hanging up there in the rafters? Yes, but it was more so. Um, you know, I don't know the right words to use. But you're in there, and it's it's not when you're practicing. It's not when you're playing games. It's when you're in there playing pickup. We're in the gym getting up shots with a teammate or playing one-on-one or two-on-two or three-on-three. And in the summer, it's smoking hot in the field house, and everybody's gassed, and you get done, and you kind of look around like, this is a real cool environment to play in. This is one of the best environments in the country to play in. And you see the names up there. You see the banners. And it was just like, man, how cool would it be if my name was up there? And then you kind of snap back out of it and, and get back to work. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a blessing. It's something that you feel very fortunate about. But everybody's name that is hanging from the Raptors in the field house is not there by himself, right? And and so you know, there's there's a, a immense sense of pride um, from your teammates, um, and all the things that you have accomplished, and, and you, that individual whose name is up there, knows that I'm not up here by myself. You know, it might be my name, it might be my number, but you know, my my teammates, my brothers are right here with me because without them, I wouldn't be here. Danny, it's been a, a pleasure to talk to you. Incredibly insightful and uh, one of the most respected names in the history of this program. So thank you so much for uh, taking the time to talk to me today. No worries. Thanks a lot. All right. Should have some more stuff coming for you next week. Excited for it. We're not done quite yet. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for listening all season long. This has been incredible. You guys are the best. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, review. We'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.